0: I love hearing stories of of just lives being changed and broken lives being put together by God. I love hearing stories, especially whenever maybe someone sees something that's not right and they decide to do something about that and they get involved in some kind of way and God does something great through them to bring about maybe a story of redemption or, or just a story of healing or lives being changed. I love hearing stories like that and I came across this story in 1952. Uh, over 63 years ago, there was a pastor in Chicago named Everett Swanson, and he was a Presbyterian minister and he was in the Chicago area, but he decided to take a trip to Korea. Um, our country, as you know, at that time, we were involved in the Korean War, and we were there and uh, had uh, soldiers that were serving there and fighting and and that, as that country was in upheaval at that time and he went there initially to minister to the uh, to, to the soldiers that were there in in Korea he was going to minister to them at that point and and just be a pastor to them at that time and But as he was walking about the city, and you need to know that it was just incredibly cold as he 's walking about this city and the cold at the time he he's noticing all of these orphans that are walking around that are just really have become kind of the outcast of society there are all of these orphans from the war that had that had taken place. Many of these children had lost their their families and had lost their parents in the war. And so they had nowhere to live. They're living on the streets. It's incredibly cold. And, you know, he saw this. Swanson saw this and it bothered him. There's no doubt it bothered him. But, you know, when you kind of see something and you're bothered by it, but maybe, you know, in the, in your mind, you're thinking, well, maybe somebody else is going to do something about that. And that's a terrible thing that I see. And, you know, maybe someone else is going to fix that. I don't, you know, I don't even live here. This isn't my, my problem, you know, but, and so he was deeply bothered by it, but at that point he didn't do anything. Well, it was another morning that he was out taking a walk on the sidewalks of, of Seoul, uh, South Korea there. And it was just bitterly cold over the night. Uh, and he's walking around just bundled up and he notices over to the side, there are some city workers that are, that are taking what looks like piles of rags And her throwing those piles of rags into a truck to haul off. And that's what he thought they were. He thought they were piles of rags. But as he got closer to the truck, he looked over and what he saw rather than a pile of rags was actually a pile of, of children who had frozen the night before that had been on the street. It was their bodies. It was their frozen bodies. They had no place to live, no place to, uh, to to find shelter. And he saw this, and he was horrified by that. And he decided at that moment that God was calling him to do something about it. That it wasn't just someone else's problem. That there was that he was going to get involved in some kind of way. And so he went back to America. Uh, Pastor Swanson goes back to America and he begins to tell his story to people in churches. He's also uh, preaching at evangelistic type meetings and he's sharing his story and people begin to give some money to the cause and he gets one check for $50, he gets another check for $1,000 and he decided that that was God affirming that he was supposed to go forward with a particular ministry and he he goes back and actually he starts rallying some of the Korean Christians that were there to begin developing some orphanage. That were there and he's partnering and networking with with Christians in Korea as well as Christians back in America and he starts providing these sponsorship opportunities for people back in America to sponsor some of these children to be able to provide food and clothing and shelter and, and a place for them to live a good education and and most importantly you know along with all of that they were also now being taught the gospel message of Jesus Christ now, we would know this ministry today, it wasn't called this back then, but the ministry that we, as we know it today is called Compassion International. And many of you have partnered with Compassion International. And it all began with a vision that happened over 60 years ago from a guy who saw something that was wrong and decided to do something about it. I want you just to see how that ministry has grown exponentially over these last 60 years. In 1952 or 53, whenever he first started these sponsorships, there were 35 children. There's an incredible picture of him standing with those 35 children, 35 children in an orphanage there. And then it grows in one decade to over 10,000 now that were being sponsored and supported by people. Now uh, you can see how it grew through the years in the 90s, it was 180,000, then 200,000. 150, then over 500,000. Then in the 2000s, they finally hit 2009, the 1 million child mark where people are actually partnering and sponsoring these kids and are and are helping them. And this isn't just kids that are in Korea. These are now in 26 different nations where people are getting involved. And then in 2012, it grew to 1.3. Now it's over 1.5 million. And I'm happy to say that over hundred and thirty five of that 1.5 million our children that you, the people of EVC, as we presented this to you, you got on board and now over 135 children have been sponsored by the people of EVC. Last year, as I shared this a few weeks ago, outside of what you already just give in your support of the ministries of EVC, this money that I'm talking about here never came to Eagles View Church. It went straight back into Compassion International. Over $57,000 was given last year to help poverty-stricken children. It all started, my. Point in this is it all started with a man that saw something that was wrong and decided that he was going to do something about it, that he wasn't going to pass it off for somebody else to do. God burdened him in some kind of deep way. And and, you know, we we saw in the video that the video that we just watched is powerful because it said this, that there's brokenness all around us. And Jesus directly involved himself in the brokenness. I love the part of the video where it says that Jesus came to get messy. Jesus came to get involved. Jesus came to get involved in situations that, you know, where there were bro- there was brokenness there. And I'm excited about starting a new series with you today. We're going to be looking at a book called Nehemiah. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn there with me. Um, it may be a little bit difficult to find. It's a smaller book in the Old Testament. Don't be a- a- afraid or ashamed to go to the table of contents, okay? Go to the table of contents. Find the book. It may take you a little bit of time to find it. I'm going to give you some context behind the story. But we're going to talk about what it means to to rebuild fallen walls when walls are fallen around us in our personal lives. But also, I believe God wants to do even more than just what's happened in our own personal life. And and so as as you look there with me, I want to I want to show you and begin to show you in God's word a story of a man who who caught a vision from God and was burdened by something so deeply that it changed his life and it changed the life and lives of many, many others. And we're going to look in the first chapter of Nehemiah this morning. And the thing that I've really felt led to speak to you about is that God restores brokenness in our lives. Would you agree with me in that? Amen. I mean, has God not restored some brokenness in your life? We've talked about when we started the church that we wanted this place to be a church for the broken. A place for people who are broken, where you don't have to come and pretend like you've got it all together, because we don't. None of us do. And God wants to restore and rebuild and repair and redeem in our lives. But here is what I really believe God wants us to learn in this series, okay? God not only wants to do and continue to do that in your life, I fully believe that God wants to bring restoration in our lives so that we can be a light and bring restoration to the world around us and to rebuild fallen walls that are all around us listen to me church this is what the scripture says you have been redeemed to redeem others amen you have been restored to be a restorer You have been reconciled by God and been made right in right relationship with God because of the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ to carry out what Paul calls a ministry of reconciliation. You see, when you got saved and whenever you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he didn't take you immediately home to heaven. He left you here and he left you here to rebuild fallen walls. He left you here to get messy in this world, as Jesus did, to get involved. And, and, and so let me give you some background of, of this story of Nehemiah. The background of the, is this, okay? It happened about 500 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So it was around that 500 B.C. mark that all of this was going on. Just for reference points for some of you who know a little bit of your biblical history, it happened after, uh, after the kingdom of David and the kingdom of of Solomon. Um, after these as King David was in it was reigning, and his son Solomon took over the city of Jerusalem became just the jewel of that part of the world. I mean it was a glorious place, and it was blessed and it was prosperous and the people uh, you know uh, were blessed because Solomon built a great temple to god and and it was a glorious temple that was built unto Jehovah, and the, the city was just an incredible place, but all All throughout the years, as Jerusalem was being built up and as it was growing and just becoming this magnificent place and they had walls around the city of Jerusalem, any great city would have great walls that were protecting walls that would keep opposing armies out. And and they had gates to those walls. And, I mean, you had to be able to get through the gate to get into the city. I mean, it was a well-protected place. But all throughout history, God had been telling the nation of Israel, even as he was bringing them out of their bondage in Egypt, he'd been telling them that if they will follow me, if you will follow me, then I will bless you and I will, I will prosper you. I will do all of these great things. And work my, he worked mighty works in front of them. You know that he delivered them from Egypt and the plagues of egypt and you know that he delivered them from pharaoh as he they were trapped at the red sea and so they saw god work things in their midst over and over again but he said this he said but when you begin to follow other idols when you begin to follow other things and you don't love me the way that i've called you to love me god told them that he would bring discipline in their lives He told them that's all you have to do is read the scriptures and you you can see that as we'll read in a minute that God told them from the get go. When you start intermixing with and following and and worshiping the idols of the surrounding nations, then what God had told them is he said, he said, I'm going to scatter you uh, to the to the four winds. I'm going to scatter you and you'll be scattered and you'll face devastation. He would send prophets that would warn them over and over again. There'd be guys like Jeremiah that would come to them and say, guys, we're not following Jehovah. You're starting to follow some of these other gods. And he would tell them there'd be guys like Isaiah and Amos and all of these prophets of God would come to them and preach to them. And they would preach repentance to them. And you know what they would often do? They would throw their prophets in prison. Many times they would beat their prophets. They didn't want to listen to them. They only wanted to have their ears tickled by prophets that would tell them only what they wanted to hear. And so this was going on, and, and as God continued to warn them, now you should know that, that the nation of Israel was now in two separate, uh, uh, distinct areas. There was Israel, which was in the northern part, and there was Judah, which is where Jerusalem was in the southern part, okay? And, uh, and so the Babylonians at this time... Was, was a group of people that was conquering the world at this time. And they were running over people like you wouldn't believe. And they get to this part of the world, and Nebuchadnezzar is the king. Those of you that watch VeggieTales, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? All right? And uh, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. That's Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And King Nebuchadnezzar gets there, and, and he has laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. He's already sacked the north. He's already taken the north and taken Israel and now he has come to the walls of Jerusalem and the prophets have been telling them this was coming. They've been telling them to repent and they wouldn't repent. They had been doing, listen, the nation of Israel and the people of Israel had been doing some of the most wicked things through the leadership of some of their kings as you would read the book of of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll hear the stories of the kings, and you'll see over and over again that their kings—and this is the way that it said—did evil in the sight of the Lord. They would do evil in the sight of the Lord, and God had told them, "If you don't repent, I'm going to bring about devastation." And He did it through a nation, uh, the nation of Babylon, the Babylonians. Ne- Nebuchadnezzar gets there; he lays siege to the city in 586 BC. Um, that when they would lay siege to a city like that, they would try to starve the people out. They would surround the city, but they couldn't get in because of the walls. Finally, at some point there's a breach that is made. Someone gets hungry. Someone lets somebody in someone before, you know, it gates are open. The city is destroyed by the Babylonians. What at one time was this glorious, beautiful city was now laid waste and lie in ruins Nebuchadnezzar and I was reading this just last night. I wasn't planning on it, but I came across it in another passage. Nebuchadnezzar made sure that there was not a stone on top of another one. He made sure that his soldiers personally pulled down the protecting walls of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. They ransacked that place. And what they would do is they would take the people who were the cream of the crop. They would exile them out. They would leave the poorest of the poor there. There, they would send some of the Babylonians in to intermix with them, and they basically tried to annihilate a nation and just wipe it off the map. This is probably what the city looked like. This is a picture of, of, of some bombing that happened in London after the German Blitzkrieg. And this is probably what the city looked like. What was once a beautiful, glorious city of God, where God dwelt in the, in the temple there, now probably looked a lot like that. And the people were heartbroken. And the people were devastated and they were facing all kinds of, you know, just destruction. And and, and so the Babylonians were the world power, but there was a change of events that happened. And God's sovereignty was involved in, in who's in charge in the world at this time as it is even today. The Persians came about and they were another great empire and the Persians rose up against the Babylonians. Now remember, thousands and thousands of Jews had been exported out and exiled and and were now living in that place far in the east over a thousand miles away from, from Jerusalem. That's where they were living. And, and there was a king by the name of Cyrus who overthrew Nebuchadnezzar and overthrew the Babylonian rule there. And Cyrus and the Persians, that would be the Iranians today, okay? Um, that's their descendants there. They were the world power. They took over the world in that place. As you know, then you would have the Greeks. Then you would have the Romans. If you know your world history, you know that there was always one world power coming right after another. And the Persians were ruling at this time. And the Jews were still living among them. But the Persians' way of ruling and and their way of conquering nations was a little bit different. They would let those people stay in their home area as long as they paid their taxes. And so they were requiring taxes now from the people there. They started letting some of the Jews go back home and start rebuilding some of the destruction. Now, there was a guy by the name of Nehemiah, though, who lived among them, and he did not ever grow up in Jerusalem. He probably most likely grew up amongst the Persians there. He grew up, but he was still a Jew. He was still a follower of Jehovah. And and so he's he's living amongst the Persians. And and, and God in his sovereignty raises him up in this place. And now it's not the King Cyrus. Um, There was another king named Xerxes. And now the king that we're going to talk about in Nehemiah, his name is Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes, now this is kind of interesting to know, the book of Nehemiah and Ezra are actually one book, okay? They kind of really coincide together. They're one book in the Old Testament. Um, We've got them separated out, but they're actually one book. But how many of you heard the story of Queen Esther? Has anybody heard Queen Esther? Okay, Queen Esther was also alive at this time. Now, this is fascinating to me, okay? Some of you are like, all right, he's a a Bible nerd, okay? But this is what's fascinating. What's fascinating is God's sovereignty in this because God raises up Nehemiah to be the cupbearer of the king. I'll talk about that in a second. But on the other side of Artaxerxes, God raises up a queen named Esther. And so now you have this all-powerful king in Persia who has Queen Esther, this woman, a very influential woman, in one ear, and Nehemiah, this cupbearer, in his other ear, because the cupbearer was not a flunky. The cupbearer was a very important job. He was the person who was closest to the king. He was the person who would also serve as an advisor. Man, I'm telling you, Nehemiah was, was drinking some good wine. I'm telling you, it was not out of a box, okay? He was drinking the good wine. He was eating the good food, the king's food. He was he was living in a palace with the king. Would you think that Nehemiah might have gotten a little bit comfortable with his arrangement? It's very possible that he got comfortable with the situation. It's very possible that he had forgotten about what had happened back in his home area where his ancestors and where his family, his father likely or his grandfather had grown up. And, and this, this cup bearer was an important position. It was a political position. It wasn't just someone that would just give him a cup of something to drink. He had the king's ear. And so this was going on. And if you know the story of Esther, you know that people hated the Jews as they still do today and they tried to destroy the Jews, but God protected them and God had a remnant around them as he still does today. And people would would come to this king uh, and they would come to the cupbearer to have to gain influence with the king. And and again, what I want you to catch is the context of, of, of Nehemiah's life is that he was very comfortable. He was settled in. He was drinking good wine. He was eating great food. And he was settled in living in a palace. He didn't grow up in Jerusalem. But something happened that got his attention back home. He was in his comfort zone. The the things that had happened in Jerusalem were out of sight, out of mind. It wasn't that big of a deal to him, maybe at certain points, until he was confronted with reality. And God was going to put something right in front of his face that he just couldn't ignore any longer. So let's look in the Scripture of Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, and this is what we find here, and we'll read the first three verses. It says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekaliah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev. Now um, that's a mouthful to preach, just saying right there, okay? Um, Kislev is, is in the is around the November December time in this calendar here. And he was this this was all happening in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes reign. And now these are Nehemiah's words, okay? I was at the fortress of Susa. Now, the fortress of Susa was was the winter home for Artaxerxes. And Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. You say, why did they get to go back to Judah? They went to Judah because Artaxerxes started letting some of the Jews go back and repair some of the stuff there. And so they were, but as they're repairing things, they can't, they couldn't ever, you know, finish or complete the work because the walls of Jerusalem were down where the walls were down. They would start, they would get attacked. Someone would demolish it. It'd be like, you know, the, you're building some blocks and that bully kid comes and kicks the blocks down, you know, that's what was going on. And they couldn't never get ahead here. And he goes on and he, and he says this about his, his, his uh, brothers who came back, his countrymen who came back. He asked a question. He said, I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, and I want you to take note of this, okay? Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. I want you to read the next part with me out loud, Okay. And I want you to, in fact, I want you to think about, start thinking about fallen walls around you. I want you to start thinking about our community. We live in a wonderful community, but you need to know there are a lot of fallen walls around us. Amen? Are you with me? There are a lot of fallen walls and families all around us. There are families that have been devastated. There are families that have been destroyed. There are families who are living this right here. There are people who are living this. Say it with me. What does it say? They are in great trouble and what? Disgrace. They are in, say it with me. They are in great trouble and what? Disgrace. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So how does one begin to rebuild fallen walls when you see those things and you notice those things? And when you're confronted with the brokenness around you, how does one begin to rebuild and repair and restore? Let's just look at Nehemiah. Let's learn from his life. Here's what we see first. The first thing we see that he did was that he actually began to see the need. He actually began seeing needs around him. I would suggest to you that oftentimes we miss needs around us because we are incredibly busy. Amen. We are a busy group of people going about our lives, doing all the things that we do. And oftentimes we become very self-absorbed. And sometimes we get caught up in our own problems and we miss others needs around us because we're so focused on ourselves. And we're so focused on things that are happening. It could be that we just maybe get a little bit comfortable where we're at and we get isolated. It depends on maybe what neighborhood you live in, right? And in certain neighborhoods, maybe get a little, uh, get a little isolated. Maybe you've got, maybe you've got walls around your neighborhood. Maybe you've got protective gates, right? Do You know what I'm talking about? But there are also other places where there's great devastation, and I think that Nehemiah, for a long period of time, had just kind of—he had just—I just said, kind he had just kind of become—I don't know what word that was—I made, all right—but it's a cool one. He just had become—he had become numb to what was happening around him. Do you think we ever get like that? We just get used to things, right? We just get comfortable. Do you think we as a church could ever get comfortable with what's happening here? I think so. And we just kind of take it for granted. We take things for granted around us. And and so Nehemiah asked a question, and maybe he was making small talk, I don't know, but he asked asked a question that was gonna be that was gonna be a life changing question. He says to Hanani and his countrymen, who must have seen the countenance of their face, and he says, How are things back home? How are they doing? Really, how are things going back home where these people were supposed to be this this great light and nation, this nation of light to the rest of the world where God's glory was supposed to be working through the Israel, the Israelites. Now they were a great international laughing stock. That's what they had become. Now they were viewed as losers. Now they were viewed as having a people whose God at one time maybe was a great God. But now people would look and see this, these walls torn down. And now they would be like, you know, where's your God now? I think it's interesting to know that Nehemiah knew most of these facts already. That the wall had, you know, and the gates had been burned and the city was in devastation. It had been over 140 years. And I think many of the Jews just got used to the way things were. They got used to it. They just accepted it. You think we can ever just accept broken down walls in our life? Even if we're in pain, even if our lives are jacked up, even if there's something wrong in our lives, can't we get to a place where we just kind of even get numb to our own pain and we don't even want to do anything to fix that? And I think that's a lot of what was going on. He said, brother, how are things back home? And he was confronted with an answer that was too painful to ignore. And he must have been told detail by Hanani and these other men of what they saw. And it wasn't just about broken down walls, church. What I want you to hear, it was about about a group of people that were broken down. It was not about broken down walls. It was broken, brokenness amongst these people of Israel. There was great trouble, it says. There was great shame and disgrace To, to Nehemiah as a follower of Jehovah. You know what was on the line here for him? God's glory was on the line. God's glory was on the line because people had been looking at this and they were saying, where's your God now? It was about the glory of God. It was about the brokenness of a people more than it was ever about a wall. Something, this is what God does with a God-ordained vision. Something will begin to bother you. You'll begin to look around and you'll see something that's not right. You'll see something and you can kind of do like what Swanson did at the beginning. And you can see something that bothers you and maybe just kind of think, well, I don't know about that. You know, that's a terrible situation. That's a terrible thing. You might and we might get like Nehemiah where we get used to things. But Nehemiah started seeing the need. He started noticing the need. And and what will happen with a God-ordained vision is God will burden you with something. He'll burden you with something and he won't leave you alone about it. Until you follow in obedience to do what he's leading you to do. I remember when God was leading us to start Eagles View and I had no idea how to do it or what to do or, you know, how to go about doing that. And I was so scared of how we were going to make it. How would we exist? How would I support my family? How would we, you know, do this or that? Or I don't like to, you know, be a preacher. I don't want to do this. God. But God, you know what God burdened me with? The fact that over 80% of the people that lived in this community were not going to church anywhere. And that bothered me because this is my home area. This is where I grew up. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to expect someone. I've got to do something about this. I want to make a difference, God. I want to get involved. And I would try to sleep and try to maybe put it off a little bit. And God wouldn't let me sleep. God wouldn't leave me alone about it. God would just say, this is what I'm calling you to do, and you got to start seeing needs. You know, less than one year ago, Pastor Randy and I had the opportunity to go up to Montreal, and we, we partner with some missionaries that we sent out of our church, uh, Chad and Shelly Vandever, an incredible couple. Uh, they are strategists over church planters up there. Here's what you need to know about Montreal. It is the most unchurched area in all of North America most unchurched. When Pastor Randy and I went up there, uh, we went up there about this time last year. By the way, the worst time to go to Montreal, I should say. The high one day was negative 14, but that did not stop Pastor Randy and I from going for a run, did it, Pastor Randy? We went out for a run that day. And when I finished... That was a frozen selfie right there. Frozen selfie. My beard and my eye, my eyelids, uh, my eyebrows and eyelids were kind of uh, frozen together right there, okay? And, and so, yeah, that was, that, and so, but you know what we really saw as we went out with Chad and Shelly, okay? You can take that one down, Shauna, okay? <laughs> what we really saw, what we really saw was broken down walls. Less than one half of 1% go to a church anywhere are you hearing me one less than one percent less than one half of one percent know the hope of jesus christ the way you know him you know what we saw while we were there we saw and we were told this the suicide rate is astronomical there that it's high there. It's higher than in most places. That more people are on antidepressants there than most places in all of North America. And you know. And I know some of the cold. I know it has some to do with it. Right? <laughs> because it was cold. But I know this. There is like this cloud of oppression that is hanging over a beautiful, beautiful city. Filled with beautiful people that need Jesus Christ. Amen. They need to know. When we were there, you know what we saw? We saw fallen walls. We saw walls that were, that were broken down. We saw a place where God's glory needs to be revealed to a people who need to know him. That's why Chad and Shelley are there raising up church planners. That's why we're supporting them and in investing. That's why we go to places like Montreal and Honduras and Laos and we invest money in that because we see fallen walls. And we don't want to say it's somebody else's job. We want to get involved and be a part of that. And 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 one of the churches that got planted less than two years ago—it's called La Chapelle—and we're we're we visited that church. Pastor Randy and I did, and the other team that went in the fall visited. They're now running 950 in worship on Sunday mornings. Amen. Last year they had over over well over a hundred people baptized. Yeah, you can clap to God for that because God deserves it what we saw were fallen walls that's fallen walls in a society where God's glory needs to be revealed to a group of people that need him whenever whenever we presented compassion international to you those of you who got on board and you felt led and you saw some of the needs do you know what you know why you got involved with that you know what you saw you saw fallen walls you said we'll sponsor we'll give something up we want to sponsor one of those kids those of you who have given to other things, you see fallen walls. Those of you who can get involved in certain things. Um, Denisha, she went to Malawi. She saw fallen walls, right? Uh, the Seavers went to Malawi. They're another family out of, our, out of our church, and they're there doing medical missions. They saw fallen walls. You know, listen, you don't have to go elsewhere in the world to see broken down walls, church. They're all around us. They are everywhere around us walls have been torn down where you work, where you go to school, what you see in your community. And then and, and here's the thing, we've got to open our eyes to see them, because what we often do is we just get used to the way things are. We got to open our eyes. You say, well, what do I look for? How do I discover fallen walls? You begin to look for injustices around you and you know them when you see them. When you see something that's not right, you know it because if if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit speaks to you about it. And you begin to feel something inside of your heart about making some kind of difference in some kind of way and getting involved. Look for things that are moral imperatives. What do we see in the scripture? We see that pure and undefiled religion is this. is taking care of, of widows and orphans. What's that, what's that about? That's about taking care of those that can't maybe take care of themselves. Or who need some help. And that's exactly what we're called to do as believers. Is to look for the fallen walls. If you're in the schools and, and maybe in, you're a student and you see kids that maybe are picking on another kid, as a believer, we should be the ones standing up for those that maybe can't stand up for themselves. Amen? We're the ones who are supposed to stand up for others. So you look for injustices and then by the grace of God, you're the one that takes a stand. You're the one that stands up for what's right. You've been redeemed to be a Redeemer. And this is what we see in Nehemiah's life. But he didn't just see it. Okay, here's what he did next. He felt it. He, he really felt this need. This moved him. It wasn't just seeing it because we see needs every day. And you can't, I know we can't meet every single need because the needs are great. But we can meet the needs that God puts in front of our eyes. Okay? Okay. And we can, we can begin to feel this. Look at what he says in verse 4. He began really feeling this. God moved him in his heart when I heard this, okay? So it took someone sharing the story with him. When I heard this, I sat down. Now, this, wasn't, this guy wasn't just a big crybaby. Something moved him. I sat down, and what did he do? And I wept. It moved him so much that he was like, i got to sit down. And I don't know what it was that they were telling him. They were just probably probably telling him stories of people that they were seeing while they were there. And and he probably, being a follower of Jehovah, knew the history of his people and knew that God had done great things all throughout their history. And now they were the laughing stock of the international community. And and Nehemiah was so moved by by this need, he refused to eat sometimes. He lost sleep. He, He probably couldn't think of anything else that led him back to this place of some has to do something and so he was moved to prayer before his god and visions are born in the soul of a man or a woman who becomes consumed with the tension between what actually is and by god's grace what should and could be that's where visions are born Anyone with vision will tell you it's not looking at something that just could be done. You know, we all know things that could be done. When you see something like that, it's looking at something and saying that has to be done. I have to do something about this. And, and so his concern turned into compassion, where maybe at one point he had grown a little cold towards what was happening in that part of the world. Now he was compassionate, and it's the same kind of compassion we see in Jesus. I mean, it's very Christ-like qualities that we see here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, this is what it says. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news About the kingdom That's the gospel message of Jesus Okay, And he healed every kind of disease and illness When he saw the crowd See he saw it right He saw it What did he do He had compassion He felt it he saw it, and then he felt it, because they were, and, and as I read this, I want you to think about our community. I want you to think about where we live. I want you to think about where you work. I want you to think about people that don't know the hope that you know in Jesus Christ, and, and I want you to, because uh, here's is a perfect description of our society today. When Jesus saw them, he had compassion on them because they were confused. People are always trying to find, you know, something that they're looking for and they're confused. They're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, he said, the harvest is great. In other words, the fields are white unto harvest. They're ready to be to be. It's ready to be reaped. And and but the workers, he said, are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Who are the workers? We are. We're the ones that he's called to see the need and to feel the need. And and so you would have thought at this particular point that Nehemiah would have got on his horse right then and there and rode a thousand miles across the desert back to Israel. But there was something key that happened here. I want you to see that this vision that's born in his heart, God begins to mature it in a certain kind of way. So here's what we pray. God, begin to give us eyes like Nehemiah saw things. God, begin to give me eyes the way that Jesus sees thing, things. What kind of people did Jesus minister to? The broken, right? He came for those that were hurting and, and defenseless, and he would stand up for them. And that's what we are called to be like. And so, But we see Nehemiah, he did something. He didn't charge across the desert. This is what Nehemiah did. He waited on God. He waited on God. There are times when we can immediately meet a need, there's no doubt. God puts it in, right out in front of us. But sometimes the thing that God is calling us to requires significant preparation. It requires planning. It requires, you know, uh, a time for that to, be, to mature within us or to wait on God's perfect timing. Um, there are times where we can act immediately, but there are also times when God wants us to wait. And he wants us to wait and prepare Needs are great all around us. And again, we wish we could meet every single need, but we can't start meeting the ones that are around us that he puts in front of us, the ones that God leads us to. Sometimes we need to wait on the Lord to affirm maybe he's calling us to do something bigger than ourselves and and God wants to prepare us. Here's a a great quote by a guy named Alan Redpath. He's a Christian author and he wrote this, okay? Recognition of need must be followed by earnest Persistent, waiting upon God until the overwhelming sense of world need becomes a specific burden, something specific. It becomes specific in front of your face, okay? In my soul, for one particular piece of work which God would have me do, my burden may not be the same as your burden. God's going to give you a burden for something, Ask him to begin to burden you for some need and you be his agent of change in that particular area that he's called you to. Sometimes a vision needs time to mature and sometimes we need time to mature ourselves and we need to ask questions. We need to seek counsel and you know, I'm not a, um, I'm not a huge star Wars nerd, but, uh, but I did grow up in that era and I grew up kind of loving those movies. All right. The old ones specifically kind of grew up loving those and, uh, And, you know, but I'm not a big nerd or anything, but I still, I, I very much love saying to my son, Luke, that, uh, Luke, I'm your father. You know, I say that to him all the time. In fact, I said that whenever he was born, you know, in hopes, like, really? Okay. And, uh. You know, really, Luke, I'm your father, and uh, and, I, and so I love that. But uh, but I was thinking about this this week. You remember in the in the movie The Empire Strikes Back, if you saw that movie, that Luke Skywalker was was going through a time of preparation. He was going through his Jedi training, right? And he's back there uh, at that at that place. So you Star Wars nerds know where he was, okay? I just know he was in a in a swamp with Yoda, okay? And Yoda is there training him, and Luke Who catches this vision for something that's wrong? And he goes to Yoda and he's like, I've got to go help my friends. I know that I can help them. And, and Yoda's all like, no, complete your training, you must, you know, and all that. He's doing that. That's the first time anyone's ever done that in, this, in the, you know, in the pulpit, right? And Luke's like, but I can, I've got this vision. I, I can't get it out of my mind. I've got to go and do this. And Yoda finally gives him this dire warning. If you leave now, help them, you could, you know, and all this stuff. But but you will destroy works, you know, and he starts to, and you, so you know that he ends up going, and how does that work out? Well, I know the movies kind of work out okay, but back in the, you know, I thought, what if it kind of looked like this around here? It could look like this, okay? You know, you've got, you've got Pastor Randy there, and, and you know, could work it like that, I don't know, But but back in our galaxy, it may not work out like that, but back in our galaxy, back in our galaxy, please, okay? Here's a, tr- here's a true statement right here. Action before prayer, preparation, and planning usually spells disaster. You've got to slow down enough and be sure that this is what God is in. You've got to be sure this is not just a good idea, but a God idea. Are you with me? Because sometimes, sometimes things could just be a really good idea, but is it a good idea or a God idea? Here's the final thing, okay? And then we're going to sing here in just a minute. final thing that we see is that he waited on God, but he went to God deeply in prayer. See, maybe for you, you kind of, and as I was even preparing this, I was going, God, what are the walls that are broken around me? And I was, truthfully, having some disconnect a little bit with there because I'm just being honest. Hey, I live in a pretty nice place here in this community, and it's easy To just get disconnected from brokenness. Are you with me? What's the brokenness around us? He went to God in prayer. So here's what I'm saying. I think we need to really engage God in prayer. We need to engage God in prayer. Maybe if you're having disconnect from what's broken down in the walls around you, maybe your prayer today would be, God, would you begin to show me areas of need around me? Would you begin to open my eyes to fallen walls so that I see them, God? And I'm not just looking only at my stuff and only at my problems and only my set of things that are happening. But God, I would really begin to notice things around me. And then as you begin to notice things around you, I want you to notice that Nehemiah didn't form a committee. He didn't like go out and announce it to everybody else what he was going to do. He sought the face of his God. I said, God, I've got to talk to you about this. I got to talk to you about this. Have you ever noticed that how often we plan our projects and then we ask God to bless our projects? What if it's isn't it supposed to be the other way around that God leads us into his projects and then we're used by him to do great things in his projects for him? That's how it's supposed to be, right? What if we began to pray in that kind of manner? Let's look at the prayer and then we're going to sing back to God. Then I said, "O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I want you to notice the pattern of his prayer, because this is a great model for what our prayer should look like before God. Our great and awesome God, where does he start? The awesome nature of his God. He looks at his God first, who keeps his covenant, Of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Who listen to my prayer, God. Look down and see me praying. I want you to see the consistency night and day for your people, Israel. Now, I want you to see what comes next. There's a a time of confession. I confess that we have sinned against you. This is a prayer for revival. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family. And what does he say? And I have sinned against you. Isn't it easy to start kind of praying? If, if, and just let's just be honest. Let's think about our nation. If our nation would just get right with God, what if we started praying in the sense of, rep- of personal repentance? We pray for our nation, yes, because he did. We pray for our family, yes, because he did. But did you see that he started confessing his personal sins before God? God, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. That's what he said. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. So he starts reminding God of promises. That's kind of an odd, uh, just an audacious thing to do, right? To remind God like God needs to be reminded. You know what he's actually doing? He's reminding himself of the promises of his God. That God is faithful. He's proven himself faithful. You have told you told us uh, if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. And God kept his promise there. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. That's what he's saying. These are not my problems, God. These are not my people, God. These are your people. It's your glory, Lord, that needs to be restored among them. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. That's God's glory that's, that he's most concerned with. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me We'll look next week at how he goes before the king. Put it into this into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cup bearer. Why do you think he went to God in prayer? I think he went to God because he realized how great the task was ahead of him. And he said, I can't do this. Whatever it is that God begins to burden on your heart and you feel inadequate and you feel like you can't do it. Let me tell you something. Go to God in prayer and gain God's perspective. When you look at your great God compared to whatever that situation is, you realize that with God, all things are possible. Amen? When he works through his people, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you just to join me in prayer. Let's just begin praying before the Lord right now. And maybe some of you, you automatically, you know what the fallen wall is in your life. You know what it is in your life. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's something in your place of employment. Maybe it's something in your own personal life. Maybe your own physical condition. Maybe it's an addiction in your life. I don't know what it is, but you know what the fallen laws are. If you're struggling with that, maybe your prayer right now would just begin to say, God, would you begin to identify the fallen walls around me. Make that your prayer to God. God, just begin to show me where walls are down. See, walls were great symbols of protection and honor and, and they were down in Jerusalem and they're down all around, all around us as well. God redeems, God restores, God reconciles, so that we might be his redeemers, his restorers, his reconcilers. Begin by just exalting your great God. Tell him how great he is, how mighty he is, how powerful he is. Cast your glance upon the greatness of God. As out of your peripheral vision, you see the broken down wall. He started confessing his sin, the sins of his nation, the sins of his family and personally. Would you just maybe there's something that that you would recognize that God is pointing out in your life that you need to confess before him. His grace abounds. God wants to restore that in your life. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Start thanking him for how he's worked in your past and changed your life. God's made promises to you. And then Nehemiah began to ask God for help. Maybe you just need to begin seeking God's help. You just say, God, these walls are a burden. That I see that are down. I can't do it without you. Nehemiah was so bold as to ask God to give him success. Would you pray? God, give me success in the restoration of these broken walls. Father, we love you. We honor you. We bring glory to you as a God who restores and rebuilds and repairs I pray that this group of people here today, Lord, would bring glory to your name as they are out in our community, as they are in the schools, as they are in the places of business, as we are in our neighborhoods. Give us eyes to see brokenness. Lord, help us not just to see it, but help us to feel it like Jesus did, like Nehemiah. Give us discernment to know when to act immediately and when also to wait upon you and to prepare for even greater things you're calling us to Lord, rebuild and repair the walls of brokenness in our church, in the hearts of the families that are here, so that they have a testimony to the world and will be the light that you have called them to be. And it's in Jesus' holy and powerful name, our Redeemer, that we pray. And all God's people said, I want to invite you now just to stand with me and... You know, a lot of times we worship, we do our music at the beginning, and that's okay, but sometimes I think we need to hear the Word, and the Word needs to till up the soil of our hearts and prepare us to engage God in worship. And so we flipped it a little bit today, and so I encourage you to think about the words you sing back to our great God today, and you engage and make this your prayer, and you have a freedom to worship God. Think about the fallen walls around you and your great God in Jesus name. I pray that you would see that.